You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the tutor radiographer in the medical imaging department of the Royal Children's Hospital. This is the second of a four-part series on clinical education and clinical placement for students and is aimed at healthcare students, healthcare providers and universities. Since this podcast is being produced through the RCH Education Hub, we thought it would be worth having a little bit of a discussion on differences between the healthcare of, of children when compared to adults, but we also thought it would be a good opportunity to outline a few points on how to talk to children and just as importantly, how to talk to their parents. Because there's actually a real difference between talking to an adult as a patient compared to when they are a parent of a patient. And this is why we've got two special guests with us today. So our first guest is Carly Alacastro. Carly is a child life therapist at the Royal Children's Hospital, works predominantly in medical imaging department, although has just told me she's about to start working in the emergency department a little bit as well. And she also hosts and co-produces RCH TV, which is an in-house TV show for patients that helps to alleviate their stress and anxiety related to hospitalization. Welcome, Carly. Thanks, Steve. Good to be here. Uh, and our second guest is Steve Ferguson. Steve is a nurse practitioner in the emergency department of the Royal Children's Hospital. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Steve. All right. So, Carly, let's just start with you. Can you explain a little bit about the role of the child life therapist in a hospital setting? So our motto in child life therapy is to engage, educate and empower. And in a hospital setting, we like to engage infants, children, young people and their families to support their understanding and help them cope with the stress, anxiety and uncertainty around hospitalisation. And we do this by educating them using developmentally appropriate evidence-based interventions, including procedural preparation, distraction and medical play. And through this education, we hope to empower children and young people to gain a mastery um, over their hospital experience. Great. So communication in children is obviously a really huge topic. And, and my experience as a clinical educator, uh, that's usually at the forefront of a student when they come to us. They, often the first thing they ask me is, you know, how do I communicate with the patient and that? So what advice can you give these students around the area of communication for children? I think it's really important to point out here that hospitals like a foreign country, different languages, different sites, different sounds. And communication is key when helping a child and young person understand their healthcare experience. It can be the make or break of a really good experience. Mm -hmm. And so, and we know ourselves when we don't understand something, our fear is increased and we don't cope as well. But when a child understands what's happening, they tend to cope a little bit better. Okay. Well, I guess the fear is also a bit evident in the students themselves when they actually come across a patient they don't know how to communicate with as well. The students can actually go pretty quiet, uh, particularly when they don't really know what to do. And, and that can actually be a bit hard for them when they're thinking about the job and then adding in communication on top of that. Can you just give me a bit of advice then as far as, I guess, break it down? What, what advice would you actually give to the students? What should they actually do? Yeah, so students have got a lot to think about. And so some advice I can give them around communicating with children is to attune to them. So what that means is to look at them, observe them and see what the behavior they're exhibiting. So if they're coming to the hospital happy and, and cheery, then you can have that disposition as well. But if you're finding they're a bit sort of, you know, slow to engage or a little bit upset and then you sort of got to attune to their behaviour and a few things you can do is to get down to their level, mm -hmm. um, to their eye level, and that just tells them I'm here for you, you know, tell me what you need. And also to introduce yourself, your name, who you are, what your role is today. 
and building a rapport with them. And we don't have that much time to build rapport. So it's just really quickly building rapport. Um, so some things I do is to look at what they're wearing. So they might be wearing a Paw Patrol t-shirt and comment on that and have a chat about Paw Patrol um, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, use developmentally appropriate language. Um, this comes with practice and it's just making sure that you're using language that the child understands. Using positive language as well. This is a really important one because if we're using negative language such as, you know, it's going to hurt, this is going to be tight, the children expect negative experiences. And when they expect something negative, they, they tend to have negative experiences. It's called the nocebo effect. Yeah. So we try and steer away from words such as ouch and burn and tight and prick and those negatively loaded words and use positive language. So instead of saying it's going to burn or it's going to feel hot, we can say, oh, you might feel a little bit of a warm feeling. So using some positive affirmative language. And I like using the phrase some children because not all children will feel the same thing. And so I say to them, especially with IV cannulas, you know, some children say they feel a little push. Some children say they don't feel anything when they've got the numbing cream on, but you tell me how you might feel. So it's giving them that um, idea that it might happen, it might not happen. Um, And also just one other thing is humour. You know, children's idea of humour is not quite developed yet. So be careful with using humour because we had an um, um, an experience the other day where a doctor came out to the child who was having surgery on their tonsils and said to them, all right, so we're going to chop your leg off today. And so that type of humour is funny for adults but not so much for children. Uh, that's happened to me before actually. I've, I've said to a kid, uh, they say, oh, why, why do you have to put that little marker on the patient like next to the, the image on the X-ray? And I say, oh, that's so that the doctor knows which leg to chop off. And I have actually had some weird looks from patients and parents, in fact, at some times as well. Yeah. So just knowing that humor is not that developed in children, they don't find it funny. It actually makes them scared if yeah. you're saying, yeah, if you're saying things like that. So just learn a few knock-knock jokes and a few, you know, funny, child-friendly jokes if you want to use humor. Yeah. And can you think of any other like words or phrases that might be misinterpreted? Absolutely. So one big one is when you're having a general anesthetic, we're just going to put you to sleep. Kids who have had pets that have been put to sleep. Yeah. The, 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 the pet dies. So for them, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm being put to sleep. I'm going to die. Yeah. So just making sure you're aware of those, um, you know, words that can be misinterpreted by children, especially medical imaging too, with the use of die. We had a child once who thought they were going to die if they had this scan. Oh so making sure that you're, you know, are aware of the words that we're using in the hospital and avoiding jargon as well. So all those big whiz bang kind of, you know, words like pet and MRI, like Kids have and no contrast. Idea. And contrast. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so like like contrast, actually, instead of saying contrast, you can say, oh, it's a special liquid that's going into your body that's going to help us to see your body and it's, things That's a not a die. It's not a die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So what about like nonverbal stuff? Like we've talked about all the verbal communication. What about the nonverbal communication? Yeah, absolutely. So things like your facial expression, your gaze, where you stand, um, your voice, the space you give the child and the way you listen is all nonverbal communication. So it's really important to have a think about, you know, how you stand, how you talk. And one voice is um, something that we really focus on in child life. That is actually an acronym. You can actually Google that and have a look at what it means. But one thing we really value in child life is when you're in a procedure, making sure only one person is talking at a time. And that just helps the child to feel a bit more calm and relaxed because we all know that if people are talking at the same time, it can be a little bit confusing and confronting. Yeah, I think we, we, we often get a, a um, situation where we have a lot of, like you might have two parents and, and a radiographer in the room and they're trying to position the patient. The patient's not really kind of playing ball. And then one parent's saying, oh, come on, do this. And then another parent's saying, do this. And then you've got the radiographer saying it as well. 
And I've often been in a situation where I've just gone, hey, everyone, just stop for a sec. Let's just have one person talk at the one time. Yeah, because it become quite overwhelming for kids. So just remembering, yeah, the one voice. Um, honesty. It's really important to really be honest with kids. So an example I've got is of the barium solution that the kids have to have. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will say, oh, it's just like a chocolate milkshake. No, it's not like a chocolate milkshake. I think I, I, think <laughs> I said that once was a, it was a milkshake and the parent actually said to me, he said, oh, they're actually allergic to milk. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just saying to them, you know, it's a it's a special drink that we have and we're going to put some chocolate sauce in it to make it taste better um, and that's a special drink we're having today. So, yeah, not to lie to kids um, and try and always finish on a positive note. If it wasn't the best experience for the child, point out what they did really well. So they may have, you know, kept their arm really still even though they were a bit upset. So just point out, you know, you did such a great job today, you kept your arm so still. So always try and finish on a positive note. And also play is the language of a child. So if you're finding um, a child is a little bit scared, use play. So for an example, I know in x-ray here at RCH, we have a big teddy bear. Mm -hmm. And I often use that big teddy bear to show the children, this is what's going to happen when you have your scan. Let's do it on the teddy bear first. And so what that does, it helps the children to explore what's going to happen and know what's going to happen so that they are more inclined to cope yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, look, that's all great points of advice. I actually asked the students from the last episode as to what uh, they wanted to know. And one of the questions that, that all three of them actually had was, what do you do when a child's really unhappy? Like, what do you do? How do you, how do you deal with a patient that's actually crying? Because there's obviously a big variation in unhappiness. Some of them are going to be screaming and crying and then others are just going to be, you know, maybe withdrawn or something as well. How do you deal with that? It's finding out what the fear is. And I think there are a lot of questions you can ask a child, like, you know, I can see that you're upset. I can see that you're crying and you, you know, can you tell me why? And some children might not be able to tell you why and some children will. And you can also say, you know, I know it's sometimes a little bit scary because you don't know what's going to happen today. You've never done this before. So let me show you. And so that's when the demonstration comes into play. Um, For children who are at the severe distress and, you know, there's no getting through to them, there's no calming them, I think stop the procedure. Mm -hmm. You can always go back to the referring doctor and say, hey, we weren't able to get this done today. Is it absolutely necessary? Um, or just come back another day and yeah. um, give the child a break. And I think when they do come back another day, make sure you give them the resources to help prepare them. And we have um, Be Positive videos, which are preparation videos here at the hospital to help prepare them. And also the Oki app in medical imaging as well, which helps children prepare for medical imaging apps. With the Be Positive videos, uh, how can we access them? Like if you're out of the hospital, how do you access those? You can access them through the RCH website. Mm-hmm. They're also on YouTube. So yep. if you just type in a child's guide to hospital um, RCH um, into Google, it should pop up. And the Oki app is just one that you can just find on the, on your regular app store, right? Yep, yep. just type yep. in Oki and it'll pop up. It's very situational as well, I think, because you might have a child that's in medical imaging, for example, and they might just be crying because they're scared about what's actually happening. Uh, whereas in ED, that might not necessarily be the case because you may not necessarily have anything there that is particularly scary. We have to make sure that we don't confuse crying with unhappy because crying doesn't necessarily mean unhappy. For children of a certain age, crying is a way of communicating Mm. that there's something they have a need or a want that's not being met. It doesn't necessarily mean they're unhappy. So kids will cry or a lot of things. They'll cry because they're hungry. They'll cry because they, they need to pee. They cry because they need to poo. They cry because they're, they're in pain. They cry for a myriad of different things. So just be sure to that you, it's not unhappiness always because we associate that as an adult with crying as being unhappy. But even then, we cry when we're happy. Yeah, true. So we have to kind of 
step away from saying crying is an unhappy child because it isn't necessarily that's the reason. Yeah. So it can be you just need to sometimes explore what is it. And it could be just that child's way of expressing fear. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, the, you know, this, this is just the way they express frustration. Yeah. Just the situation is scary. Any child that enters a hospital, they're in a foreign environment. Mm. Talk about the foreign country. It's a foreign environment. They're surrounded by people they don't know. They're away from their home. They're away from their loved ones, their friends. They don't know why. They don't always know why they're there and they don't always know what's going to happen while they're there. They're put in a room. They're approached by people in masks and goggles and gowns and the fear is just is natural that it's that this is a situation I haven't got control over. Yeah. Someone once explained to me why children watch programs over and over and over and over again. It's because they have a sense of control. It's a sense of calming for them that actually I know what's going to happen. I have very little control in my life. And when I watch this cartoon and I want to watch it again, or I will listen to that song and I want to listen again. It makes me happy, mm, but also gives me an element of comfort and control. I know what's going to happen next. Yeah. yeah. Whereas here that's not the case. So that yeah. fear Surely can be situational while yeah. you, you know. While and I think on that, validating the fear is so important. Because a, a lot of the times, you know, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Mm. Well, no, they are going to worry. And mm. for them, it's not okay. And you exactly. have to say, you know, I can see that you're worried and that's okay. You know, can you tell me what you're worried about so we can help you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that they will probably respond a lot better if you actually can sympathise or empathise with them as well. Yeah. Can we just talk on, uh, move on to talking to parents now? Because it's very different than, than talking to children, as we all uh, are aware. Uh, I often think when I have a parent in the room with my patient that I effectively basically just have two patients in the room. What are some of the things that we need to think about when talking to parents? I think um, the first thing is that the child is always listening. You know, mm-hmm. whatever you say to the parent, the child's, all, you know, got their ears pricked up. So just be careful of what you say to the parent and making sure that it's not um, instilling fear in and, the child. And often they know, they understand more than what you think that they understand as well. That's right. So yeah. just being aware of that. And also, you know, parents know best. Parents know their children really, really well. So just making sure that you're asking them about what's going to support them while they're here having their healthcare experiences. And they might tell you some things about, oh, you know, they've got, you know, they're on the autism spectrum, just, um, uh, autism spectrum and um, they need a quiet room because the sensory experience for them is really overwhelming. So things like that are going to help us and we can say, okay, no worries, we'll put that on the door and we'll make sure, you know, people who come in here are keeping a low voice or we've got the, the lights dim. So making sure we're setting up an environment for the kids, um, you know, making sure we're asking the parents um, about that. Yeah, and, and a lot of the time we also get situations where the parent can be fairly non-compliant. Like even though they're, they're comforting the child, we might actually want them to be doing a specific task so sometimes they might be uh, like we've had situations where you, where you get a patient that starts crying and we're trying to position them up for an X-ray, but the parent then just goes in and gives them a hug when we're just like, well, that's you know, it's really nice that you're doing that, but it, for us, it's actually not really helping. It's actually being a little bit more um, counterintuitive, I guess. What strategies do you think are useful? I think giving the parent a job. That's probably my my biggest piece of advice. So if you're trying to help the child, you know, getting to position for an X-ray. The job of the parent could be, you know, your job is to use both hands to help keep their legs still, mm-hmm. giving them a job. What would you think? What would you say, Steve? Oh, involve the parents mm. as much. There's two, there's, two, there's two aspects to this. One of them is we always want, we talk about child 
family-centred care, when we talk about involving parents and caregivers in, in, in any procedures or anything that goes on, but we've got to also respect the fact that parents don't want to be involved. So giving them a job is, is works for probably 90% of the time, but mm. there's always going to be that sort of 5 to 10% of the time where actually parent, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't... They, I'm the. I want to be the safe zone, and so that that you have to respect that at the same time. You get, you can get both. Most of the time, parents totally. I want to be a part of all of this. Yeah. But there are those occasions where it's just too much for the parent. Yeah. And actually, you can say to the parent and a, to step out. And a really good example of that is doing in in the emergency department or in other parts of the hospital as well. Is doing lumbar punctures. They're not nice to see. And they're not nice to watch. And the child can be really distressed, but can also be strange. It can be really settled with it, but it's just not a nice, necessarily a nice procedure for parents to watch. So we'll offer parents the opportunity to step out. Fracture reductions again, we'll say, do you want to stay in while we do this? You don't have to. You can step out. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really important point you make. Because I think the other thing is that sometimes we have parents who feel like they need to be there for the patient while the patient's having that procedure or having an examination of some description or whatever. And it's something you've really got to notice because you've got to see when the patient is a little bit withdrawn, sorry, the parent, I should say, is, is a little bit more withdrawn. And when they're withdrawn like that, sometimes I might just say to them afterwards, are you doing okay? They haven't left the room because they don't feel like they can leave the room. And so I, I actually think that's a, a really hard thing to to get the parents to to do, I think. Yeah. So. But you have to be enabled to you have to enable them to be able to feel that they, actually that's okay. It's okay for you to do that. I will look after Johnny. Mm. I will take care of yep. Johnny. You're okay to step out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's offering the question, would you like to stay or would you like to step Absolutely. out? Absolutely. And giving yeah. them the option. Absolutely. So Steve, you obviously have to talk to patients and parents on a daily basis. How do you tailor your communication between the patient and the parent? Experience is one, and this this is this is this is something that's really a lot of it's based around experience, and it's a question that I often get um, from people: is what's the most important part of working with kids? And number one is communication is the number one aspect. Mm. You can have all the knowledge in the world if you cannot sit down and engage with a family and a child. It's really difficult to to kind of have a to create a positive um, working relationship with them. So for me, um, being a bit of an old school nurse, I learned about child development, childhood development, and um, understanding what kind of developmental stages. And it's an old Piaget, it's an old French geezer, who talked about childhood development from the baby who only understands what's right in front of their eyes to your concrete operational teenager who can imagine someone on the other side of the world going to school and going about their daily life. Yeah, And it's understanding those, but also understanding when you put someone in a really unusual position where there's fear and the unknown and pain and all, all those things we talked about before, that they may regress. So although you're talking to a 14-year-old, actually their understanding is at 10. Yeah. And you've got to, that comes with experience being able to pick that up. So that's really, really important is understanding developmentally where we're at from a cognitive point of view and a developmental point of view um, and being able to pick up on the fact that the kid's understanding what you're saying or the parent is understanding what you're saying involving the parent in what's what kind of language does your child use. And we talk about not using negative terminology when you're doing a procedure, but when I'm assessing someone, I need to understand pain, so we've got to talk in those terms. I might use the word ouchy and the kid will look at me weird and say, what are you talking about? So I'll ask the parent and I'll say, is it sore? So that's the term you're going to use. So it's getting that and getting that sort of understanding from them. 
what language they use, um, consistent messages and just listening. Really important to listen. Yeah. Let a child talk because what we want to do is we'll ask a question and you'll see them formulating an answer and we want to move along. We've got to give them a chance to talk. And I mean, actively listening, it's a difficult skill because what we're often doing is thinking, what am I going to ask next? What am I, what's my differential diagnosis here? What procedures do I need to do? When actually we have to stop that noise in our head and listen to what they're actually saying. So be open, listening actively. Yeah. Uh, let's move on now to the differences between adults and children in terms of healthcare itself. So I've often heard the term being used that children are just considered little adults, but we know that that's far from the truth. And we know that because we work here at the, at the hospital. But let's say you're talking to a student who's never been here before about what the differences are between children and adults. What would you say? So it's, it's difficult to kind of wrap your head around because people who've never worked with kids fear them. Mm-hmm. And that I find that really difficult to understand, particularly if people have kids themselves or they have little cousins or little siblings, also, and, but they fear them. They are not little adults. They are individuals. They're humans, little humans who have different anatomy and physiology to a certain extent. Um, they just, if you're, if you were, if I'm talking to a, a, a student nurse who's coming in, basic things like their observations are different. They have different heart rates because of their size. They have different respiratory rates. Their blood pressures are different. There's simple things like that. Um, there's different disease pathways and there's different types of injuries that kids will get that adults don't get. So pediatrics is a specialty for a reason because pediatrics is different. The adult to medicine adults, yeah. and the specialties within that are specific because there is things that you see in childhood that you don't see in adults. So my first bit of advice is don't be scared. These little people are not going to bite. Well, actually sometimes they do bite you, but they generally <laughs> don't. Um, and just understand at different ages, things will appear different. Kids develop from this completely helpless little thing to what we are now mostly functional adults, but we have to go through developmental phases to get to that. Yeah. We grow and we develop. And so it's, that's kind of the big, big difference. Yeah. So what if you get a child then that, that can't follow the instructions or, or in some cases won't follow the instructions that you're actually getting them to do? How do you then examine that patient? That's a normal day. Yeah. <laughs> that's a normal day. You've got to, you've got to do the best you can. So Doing the things that we spoke about before is engaging with the child. And what Carly said about looking at what they're wearing, if they're wearing a Collingwood football jumper, obviously you walk away and don't go near <laughs> yeah. But if they're wearing their Paw Patrol, you know, you want to, you start, you chat about it. So you'll, you'll under, you get to know what the, what's the most recent thing that kids are into at a lot of different levels by working with kids. So if they play footy, if they play basketball, if they play netball, if they like music, if they like they play an instrument, Engage them in trusting you because you have to gain your trust. Kids are really perceptive and they'll know if you feel uncomfortable with them. So you have to engage with them. And humour at the right level is really good. So for a three-year-old, you poke them in the belly and make a fart noise. That relaxes them. <laughs> you could probably right? do that to a 16-year-old oh, yeah. as well. You could do as well. <laughs> yeah. But generally if you're doing it, so using appropriate sort of, Levels of humour works. Yeah. 
So you're engaging them. What you can, so other things that you can do is if they have a favorite toy with them, so if they've got a Peppa Pig doll with them, I want to listen to your chest. Let me listen to Peppa first. Mm. And I listen to Peppa. Is that okay? I've had, I remember really clearly, um, well, I, was, I think I'd been a nurse for about three years. And a doctor came to me and said, I've got a boy who's hurt himself, but he won't let me examine him at all. So he was about four. So I sat down and talked to him and I asked him what his favourite things was. And I was like, found out he's like a bit of a He-Man fan or whatever it was at the time or a Buzz Lightyear or something. So I went off and I, we had a toy very similar. I think it was like an Action Man or something. I said, oh, Action Man's got a really sore tummy. I think it's a bit like you. He goes, oh, does he? I said, yeah, but I can't work out because he's not telling me where it is. I think it's here somewhere. No, it's not there. Here somewhere. No. Can you show me? And he just straight away let us examine him and feel his tummy. Wow. We involved That's him. the power of play. Exactly. Absolutely. So really, really important. The other one is involve the child life therapists because they are gems in our yeah. hospital. Miracle workers, as I like <laughs> to call them. For sure. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. One last question, uh, which has come from one of the students that we, uh, that we interviewed uh, last time, and it's a bit of a can of worms. How does consent differ in child health compared to adults? So adults are considered competent over the age of 18 to give consent to treatment or to refuse treatment. There's a, there's a, um, a test called Gillick Competency, which is from the UK, which Australia will use as well and has been used in, in uh, common law. And that talks about people making a decision that a child is capable of understanding what it is that they are consenting to. The difficulty comes when it's refusal for treatment particularly kind of high-end, you know, really important treatment. Um, Gillick competency doesn't stretch to that. That tends to fall more to parents. Um, but certainly they kids have been allowed to refuse treatment before. So you've got the consent to, to treatment, but you've also got the refusal. You have to think about the consent and saying no to treatment. Uh, yeah, we'll probably talk about that yeah. on, a, on, on a later podcast. Look, thanks both for your time today. Any last pieces of advice for our budding students, uh, Steve? Enjoy. Just enjoy yourself. Get down to kids' levels. Engage with the children. They will teach you so much while you're on your placement here. So just enjoy it. It's yep. fun. This is a fun. It's a serious place, but this is a fun place to work. Yeah. And Carly? Yeah, I can second that. Just play, play, play. I just think if you remember to play, that's just the language of the child. And I think if you remember to play, that you're going to build some good trust for the child and, yeah, have some positive experiences with them. Thanks a lot, guys. In our next episode of this education series, we're going to be speaking with clinical educators from across the areas of medicine, nursing and allied health, and we're going to provide an insight into how students should prepare for clinical placement and how to behave whilst on clinical placement. The episode is also aimed at anyone supervising a student and how they should approach a student, but also what they should expect in return. Would also be a very controversial uh, episode, but very interesting. Thanks again, guys, for your time today. Love chatting with you both. Thanks, Thank Dave. You. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.